Section 5 of Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland, Part 1, Chapter 5. Aborigines seldom had names alike. Indeed, they never had in the same camp in that respect they were surely more original than we are with our tom dick and harry handed down from father to son when an aboriginal child was about a week old the mother would after consulting with her friends give it some pet name the child would be called by the name of some animal fish or bird or perhaps by that of a hollow log or daylight sundown wind flood come quick fetch it go away left it and so on the name, if the child was a girl, would remain with her her life through, but a boy's name was afterwards changed. During a man's life he would possess three different names, the first as a child, the second when he was transformed into a kipper, young man, and again the final when he became a grown man, Malara with a beard. This latter name was decided by men of his own tribe and no special ceremony was held, but friends would consult about it during some corroboree. No man was allowed to marry unless he had come to possess his last name. Aboriginal boys were transformed into kippers in this wise. When they were a certain age, say from 12 to 15 years, they went through a long ceremony at the end of which they were looked upon as young men. There were two different ways in which this ceremony might be carried out, the simple or Kurbingai was resorted to when there were not so many boys to be put through, and these kippers did not take as high a rank as those who had gone through the greatest ceremony, in the same way as a boy nowadays who has been to an inferior school cannot be expected to be as capable as another who has gone to a superior one. And often a boy would go through the greater ceremony when he had already been initiated at the Kurbingai. The simpler ceremony was carried out as follows. When a certain tribe wished to convert their boys into kippers, they first picked two men and sent them as messengers to a neighbouring tribe to see how many boys there were in that tribe ready to be initiated. Arriving in the near neighbourhood of the camp, these men paused and decorated themselves. First, a mixture of charcoal and grease was rubbed all over the body from head to foot, and this produced an extra glossy blackness. The aboriginals obtained plenty of grease from iguanas, snakes, fish, dugong, etc., and it was carried about with them in their dillies always, rolled up in nice soft pieces of grass. They ate this grease at times, but apart from that they must have used a great deal of it for Whenever they wanted to spruce up, they always rubbed themselves with grease and charcoal. It was evidently to them what our bath is to us. They felt nice and fresh and dressed, as it were. The charcoal was the same as that used dry to rub on wounds, and will be referred to again. It was a very fine and soft powder and mixed up well with the grease. When children were born, they were rubbed almost immediately with this mixture. It made them blacker 
than they would otherwise have been to return to the two messengers after anointing themselves in this fashion they would stick either feathers or swans down in their hair with more grease and then according to the tribe to which they belonged they decorated their bodies either in red yellow or white designs or patterns after that loitering till the sun went down and darkness was upon them they made towards the camp each beating two boomerangs together and singing as they went the recognised kipper song till from the camp came an answering cry the blacks there taking up the song and beating their boomerangs giving thus an invitation to enter the messengers would do so and the song was continued and sung to a finish by the whole of the blacks assembled one can imagine how after this all would cluster round the visitors hearing and telling the news talking over affairs and making arrangements for the journey to the scene of action where the first tribe were camped the journey was probably undertaken next day and the messengers were accompanied by the whole tribe with the exception of two men who in turn went to their next neighbours and so in the same way the news was carried from tribe to tribe till all the people round about men women and children were finally gathered together for the ceremony in the meantime the blacks at the appointed place were not idle they would build a large bush fence or shade some distance away from the main camp formed in a half circle to be used in the daytime as protection from the sun for the boys and also partly to hide them two or three huts nicely fashioned from tea-tree bark were also put up about one hundred yards from the bush shade and these last were the sleeping abodes for the youngsters though each fresh tribe as it arrived would camp just as it was for the first night men women and children together the women had afterwards to build their own huts some good distance from the boys quarters the morning after the arrival of each tribe the youngsters who were to go through the ceremony would all be taken away from the camp so that they could not hear what their parents and others were talking about there and when they were out of sight the fathers mothers and the rest would get together and suggest names for the boys when agreed as to each name the men would proceed to where the boys were leaving the gens behind and when there a tour going up to a boy would whisper in his ear a name then turning round would call it out in a loud voice the result being a regular roar and howl as the others present took up the name after each boy had had his turn the men would start singing the kipper song then all proceeded back to the camp the boys returning to their parents this little preliminary over the men of one tribe would go to another tribe and demand the lads from their mothers who of course had to submit these men must be of no relation to the boys they would take them again into the bush far enough away so that the jinns could not see nor hear them and there they gave the boys their instructions the youngsters were told that they must not on pain of death ask for anything in fact speak at all 
neither must they eat eggs rose fish nor any female animal and they must not look up to the sky if they decide even to scratch themselves they must do it not with their hands but with a stick the men maintained that if the boys looked up the sky would fall and smother them and the youngsters were made to believe this some i suppose were more credulous than others as for the non-eating of eggs rose etc that was kept up after the ceremony in fact the boys were not allowed to eat these things till they had become grown or full-bearded men my father used to think the idea a good excuse for the old people to claim the best and daintiest food an instrument called the bugaram was now brought into use it was a thin piece of wood a quarter of an inch thick cut in the shape of a paper knife and was about seven inches long and two inches wide it was attached by means of a hole at the end to a string eight or nine feet long and when swung around the head would make a roaring noise like a bull the djinns who were never allowed to see a bugaram and to whom the actual ceremony of kipper-making was never revealed for if they were discovered seeking out these secrets of the mystery they would certainly be killed were persuaded that the great men actually swallowed the boys afterwards vomiting them up again on the day of the great fight which ended the ceremonies the unearthly roaring sounds made with the bugaram were supposed by the djinns to be the noise the great men made in swallowing after sounding these instruments and displaying them for some time before the boys of whom there might be some fifteen or twenty the men took their charges to the bush shade prepared for their use and here they were placed lying down upon the ground in a half circle each boy's head on another's hip in this position they stayed till they were tired when they might sit up with their legs crossed tailor fashion but only provided their heads were covered with an opossum rug for sitting up they were out a little from the shelter of the bushes and could otherwise see the sky sentries old men armed of course were posted over the boys prepared to spear any youngster who might be tempted to look up or laugh or otherwise break through the rules the rest of the men went out hunting generally returning before sunset when they gave the boys something to eat and drink father who saw all these ceremonies when a boy would sometimes plague the lads when the old warriors had their backs turned tempting them to look up etc the boys would grin and perhaps do so though they dare not before the men children black and white are much the same the world over i suppose and of course these boys would speak if they got the chance when dusk came on the men would assemble in a crowd before the boys and go through all sorts of antics jumping and dancing and laughing and mimicking everything they could think of with their fun they tried to tempt the boys to laugh and speak or look up and they chaffed the lads considerably shouting that their mothers were calling and appealing to their superstitious notions the capers some of these men would cut and the way they walked and talked and strutted about 
must indeed have been laughable. They would get hold of fire sticks, and two or three would perhaps hold a poor unfortunate companion by the shoulders and legs in mid-air, while yet another would poke a fire stick at him from below, making him squirm and jump. Even that would not bring a laugh from the boys who knew better, having been warned beforehand. In addition to all this, the men went through with the half-song, half-dance which was kept sacred for these occasions, and was a secret from all the women folk. They also played with the bobble can, an instrument like a bugaram, only smaller, being a flat piece of wood one inch wide and four inches long, which was tied fast to three feet of string, ending, unlike the bugaram, in a handle similar to that of a stock-whip, and like a whip it was used, making a humming noise when whirled around. Then, as it was cracked, the noise resembled the bark of a dog. The boys beheld these for the first time. They were too precious for everyday use. Women never saw them. With regard to the bugaram and wobblecam, the writer can say from experience that there is no exaggeration in the description of the noises made, the bark, for instance, being remarkably like that of a dog. No wonder the gins were afraid and crouched back into their huts, not knowing what the sound came from. Thirty or so of these going all at once would make a frightful row, and in the dark it would be most uncanny. The peculiar sound struck a chord of doubtful sympathy in our dog's nature one day, evidently, when father twirled and cracked a wobble can to show us its nature, for the animal ran as though he never meant to come back again. To return to the kipper-making. This trial of the boys, as it were, was kept up for a couple of hours or so. Then, in pairs, the lads were marched off with their heads covered, two men leading the way with spears and waddies, the rest walking on either side, until they arrived at their sleeping camp, where they were put into the huts for the night, men camping all round them. Much the same sort of programme was carried out day and night for three or four weeks, at the end of which time, according to this lesser ceremony, the boys had become kippers. Always after kipper-making, the blacks had a great fight. To prepare for this event, each boy was now taken in hand by a blackfellow belonging to a tribe other than his own, who would dress him up. First, it goes almost without saying that the lads were rubbed over with charcoal and grease from head to foot. They would not be dressed otherwise. Then their noses were painted red with a fine red powder, cinnabar, sulphide of mercury, procured by rubbing two stones together. These stones could only be got in certain places, and when rubbed into the skin, this powder produced a beautiful, glossy colour. On any important occasion, the black men always had their noses red. Bodies were painted in different styles, but noses were all the same. So it was with the boys. I have described how a man in full dress would perhaps be all white down one side and black the other and so on according to his tribe and these boys were now painted in the same way also like the men they would have the various bands and belts mentioned 
In addition, however, a kipper would wear a snake throttle tied round his forehead, which had previously been cut out, slit open, and wound round a stick to keep it flat. This belonged especially to a kipper's dress, as did also a sort of tail which hung from the back of one of the forehead bands almost to the ground. This tail, wongan, was made from a possum hair twisted up on the thigh into strings. Similar strings were worn crosswise over the chest and back, forming what was called a barban. The rest of the dress was similar to a man's. The parrot feathers or the swan's down, the necklace, etc. When a boy was ready dressed, he would have a small dilly presented to him, which would be made especially by his mother or sister. He never owned such a thing before, though he might often play with one. The string handle would be put over his head and the bag itself under his arm. He would carry red powder for his nose in this, also a wobble can, which latter was given him that he might play with it when alone in camp. Being now full-dressed, he was allowed to speak. End of part one, chapter five.